With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, everybody. I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. No! Oh, my God. How could he do that? What? Charles Darwin. All right. So we are now almost all the way through the first round of the playoffs. And in fact, in some series, we're a couple games into the second round. So now that we can basically say that we are in the conference semifinals, today we're going to be talking about the key for each team to each one of those series. And of course, one of those series, the exact matchup still hasn't been determined because Thunder Rockets game seven is later today, but you'll see how we address that when we get there. So let's start off with Bucks Heat, uh, a series that a lot of people are pretty excited about, especially after the Heat pulled off a somewhat surprising game one victory. So let's start with the Heat, Logan. What is their key in this series? Uh, They've got to force Giannis to move the ball. Getting it out of his hands will just be simply, now don't get me wrong. Giannis is going to get his points, and he's going to get his numbers either way. He almost had a triple-double in game one, and they held him to 18 points. Giannis is going to put up stats, but without the ball in his hands, that's the key to winning the series because you've got to get the other players around Giannis to shoot and miss shots because Giannis is going to dominate you if you don't. And I think it goes back to what we saw the Heat do with the trade deadline, Carson. The acquisitions of Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala are, I won't say they're paying extreme dividends now in this series, but you see their value a little more now in this series when they can D up a player like Giannis or they can D up these other perimeter shooters like Chris Middleton because they're just they're smart and they've been in the league a while and they can shoot threes, so they have values in this playoffs. Carson, I'm going to ask you before we get on to your key for the Heat. Mm-hmm. Do you look at those trades any differently now that we are finally in the playoffs with the Miami Heat? To me, they gave up a lot to get Andre Iguodala. And the extension when we thought it was multiple years at first seemed a little bit more questionable. I think that that deal uh, makes a certain degree of extent now. I think that it was still too much. But I definitely think when you're looking at how they counter Giannis, having a guy like Iggy who can pick him up up top every possession, then having Bam down there for help every single time – Obviously, it gave them trouble in game one. And my key for the Bucks would be, just because this relates to what you just said, how does Coach Bud and Giannis counter the Heat defense against them? Because clearly, their strategy in game one was, take away Giannis, anyone else can beat us. 
you know, uh, if they put pressure on Middleton, other guys to make shots. We saw that even with the Bucks shooting 46% from three in game one, they only scored 104 points. And part of the reason for that is Giannis had a really tough game. 18 points, only 12 shots, six turnovers, the worst plus minus on the team. When he got to the line, he wasn't executing there, and you can't always expect that to happen. But it's also, you know, he's a 60% free throw shooter this year or whatever. So I think that the key on the Bucks end is – I expect the Heat to sustain this game plan because it's not all that complicated. You have one of the best rim protectors and help defenders in basketball down low in Bam Adebayo, who is there at all times. And you have some really high-level perimeter defenders to pick Giannis up up top and just make life hard on him over and over again. The key to me is then the, the role players, the guys who people have been skeptical of all year long in some respects. Guys like Dante DiVincenzo, Eric Bledsoe when he gets back out there. And of course, the biggest dog of them all, Chris Middleton, not a role player by any means. He's an all-star. But, and I've said this plenty of times, he has to be their best player in fourth quarters. He has to be because the Heat are going to take Giannis away as much as they can. That only becomes easier when games tighten up, when the pace slows down. And that is where you need Middleton to be your signature shot maker. And and that's going to be a key for the Bucs because they need to find a way to create offense for themselves that doesn't uh, completely depend on Giannis driving kicks or Giannis overpowering people on his way to the bucket, especially late in these games. Can we trust the Heat to finish games the way we saw Jimmy Butler handle the Bucs? Well, Logan, I mean, this is beautiful transition because my key for the Heat is whether or not Jimmy can continue to assert himself as a scorer because he got 40 in game one. 13 of 20 from the field, 12 of 13 from the line. That is not what we typically see from Jimmy Butler. He wasn't even their leading scorer in the first round series. And obviously with this Heat team, we assume that they're going to make outside shots. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams in basketball. They won game one without having an exceptional outside shooting night. They were 39%. That's really not that far off their typical mark though because they just have so many sharpshooters. But the key is, And this is the key for so many teams in these playoff series. And this is something that I'll touch on again. Who is the guy who can close games and who can take over games when the Bucs get going? Because there are going to be times where even if you do everything you can on Giannis, uh, you know, the Bucs are going to shoot the lights out sometimes. And the way you overcome that oftentimes is you have that one individual perimeter force who they just can't stop. We saw it happen again and again with the Jazz and the Nuggets just last series. Both those teams shot the lights out, but... The defining factors in those games, for the most part, were who played the better game between Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, uh, especially late in those games. So what we see from Jimmy Butler is everything in this series because he's the one getting the ball. It's not going to be Dragic, even though he's a guy who can create for himself off the dribble at a high level. Almost everyone else besides Kendrick Nunn kind of needs to have those opportunities created for them. It's going to be Jimmy. And if Jimmy plays at, at a level that we don't typically see from him, Then the Heat get really scary. My thing is, this is a guy who all year long has been tentative to shoot the three. Even in game one, I think he was two for two, but it's not a shot that he wants to pull off the dribble. Um, And that's fine in late game situations. You don't get a lot of good looks from three oftentimes. You're going to get a lot of mid-range looks and you're going to try to get downhill and get to the line. And that's what Jimmy excels at. But he's not a 30 plus point per game scorer. And my question is, if he doesn't get there, how do the Heat compensate? 
I would say, honestly, Carson, I trust the Heat bench more than I trust the Bucks bench at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason being, I mean, when you have performances like, uh, you know, Chris Middleton getting you 28 and Brooke Lopez getting you 24 in the starting lineup, I think we're seeing the effect of not having Eric Bledsoe, another uh, ball-dominant defender, out on the floor. At least that's what we saw in game one uh, because the Bucks bench looked lost out there for a lot of stretches of the game. Uh, how do you think – Losing Bledsoe potentially for if Bledsoe doesn't come back for the rest of this series, how does that affect the Bucks? Well, there's always a trade off with having Bledsoe on the floor in a playoff game because systematically the Bucks want all shooters around Giannis Antetokounmpo. When you put Eric Bledsoe out there, you're taking away a shooter and you're t- putting in a guy who, as we saw last year, can really kill you if he's not hitting shots. Obviously, defensively, he has tremendous value, and even though he's undersized against a guy like Jimmy Butler, he, he still might be your best option there. Just because he is such a dog, he is so scrappy, he is so tough and strong for his size, he's not the kind of guy that you can push around whatsoever. So I think he has a lot of value on the defensive end. Offensively, I'm not sure in this series because he's never going to be a priority on any given possession. They're going to either run things through Middleton, through Giannis, or the ball is going to end up in the hands of an open shooter who's going to just be the guy who has the best look on that possession. And Bledsoe is not necessarily the guy you want being that open shooter. So I don't know how he, how he comes into play in this series. And to me, that's one of the really interesting things. And on that topic, I've given my keys for both teams. What would you say is your key for the Bucks this series? I, I think it's very similar to yours, Carson. You mentioned the role players. We've got to get production out of them, and they're going to have to 3 and D him to death. I know this sounds – it's like a – it almost sounds in a perfect world, but the Bucks are going to have to shoot the lights out to keep up with this Heat team because, I, like you said, I don't see a world in which the Heat are not prepared to D up Giannis. Eric Spolster is one of the best coaches in the league, and I know with all of this time to prepare, the Heat defense is not going to change. They are going to wall up, and they are going to stop Giannis from getting points. They are going to have to shoot well from, from the perimeter and trust in these role players to get buckets. Yeah, you know, I think that obviously there is always skepticism about how the Bucks are going to perform in the playoffs because they, in a lot of ways, play the game like a math equation. There is a, there is a... a system that is so rigid and is so driven by how successful it is in the regular season that doesn't always translate. And they have a superstar whose skill set doesn't translate as well as most people's to the playoffs. And I think that Kevin O'Connor really succinctly said what I've always said about the playoff bucks, which is, and this was in reference to, you know, like in comparison to the Nuggets jazz, it's, or actually in comparison to Jimmy Butler specifically, it's a lot easier when your best player can make contested shots off the dribble than when he can't do that and when he misses a lot of free throws. And that's the thing. They don't have that bailout guy unless Chris Middleton becomes that guy. And obviously, that's a point that I've made over and over again. And I think that if you listen to the show, you are aware of. So let's move on to what, to me, Mike, is probably the most exciting series of this bunch. Now, we're already two games in. But it's Raptors-Celtics, and the Celtics have taken the 2-0 advantage. They've looked like the better team thus far. Logan, the Raptors are your title pick. They are my pick to make the finals. So let's start with them. What is their key to turning this around? Stop Marcus Smart immediately. I mean, the man has been lighting the Raptors up, and out of all the guys that you can prepare for, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart is going to be the one to send the Raptors home? Mm. I I had not foreseen a world where this is possible. 
Uh, we've got to see better defense out of the Raptors. We've got to see more effort, and we've got to see Pascal Siakam play offense. It's yeah. I, I had concerns about Pascal Siakam as one of the leading members of this offense, and Fred Van Vliet has not disappointed so far in his playoffs. The concern has been Spicy P. We've got to see some production out of him. We've got to see him making those hard plays that we saw earlier in the last series. We've got to see him stop that. It's so much harder for rim runners, rim runners and guys who get into the paint in the playoffs, guys who are not dynamic shot makers off the mm-hmm. dribble. And that has been the fault in Pascal Siakam's game. If we do not see an offensive turnaround for him and better rotations on the defensive side being up on the perimeter, the Raptors could very well be out of here in four games. Well, it's interesting to me. I think you made some great points with Siakam. The thing that I would say about stopping Marcus Smart is Marcus Smart is going to stop himself. This is a guy who is easily as likely to shoot you out of a game as he is to win you one. And yes, he got hot in game two. Uh, It ended up swinging the results. He was the reason that they won that game late. But I would rather take my chances with him shooting than obviously Jalen Kember, Jason Tatum. But the key to me is to go along with that Siakam point, who steps up as a closer for the Raptors going forward? Because I have to say, even though they're down 2 nothing. They're shooting 26% from three at this point. This is a terrible time to get cold. It's very unfortunate, but this was an elite three-point shooting team in the regular season, and they're not going to win a lot of games like that. Now, they have to avoid probably any more duds like that going forward, but I don't think that's insane to expect. What was really grueling for them, though, besides the lack of outside shooting, was their offense late. 21 points in the fourth quarter, and... When a guy like OG Ananobi finishes the game as your leading scorer, that's probably not a great formula to win. Siakam in the fourth quarter, two points over three with two turnovers. And I think that we saw it's exactly how you put it. Guys whose objective is to put their head down and barrel to the bucket. It's just harder to do, to do that in the playoffs. And we saw Siakam have more success with that last year just because defenses were so keyed in on Kawhi. And he ended up with more mismatches. He ended up with more opportunities to attack one-on-one you know, baseline drives, just getting downhill. And he's really hard to stop like that. That's not going to happen as much when you don't have Kawhi out there. And he can't be the guy that they go to late. I've always thought it should be Van Vliet or Lowry just because perimeter shot makers are more valuable in those situations. And yes, Siakam can shoot the three. Uh, The fact that he's developed the above the break three is great. He's not going to create, he doesn't have a step back in his bag. He's not going to make a lot of threes off the dribble. And so it's not even worth trying. I think that Van Vliet should be their option. Unfortunately, he had a really tough fourth quarter. He was one of seven from the field. Lowry ended up with seven fourth quarter points, but five of them were off free throws, one off a tech, two more off of a loose ball foul. When he actually didn't get fouled, he just fell out of bounds and they blew the whistle. So you're not getting a lot of legitimate offensive creation from this team late. And as elite as they are defensively, as talented as they are all around, that is the key for them. It can't be Siakam. He doesn't have the skill set. It has to be Van Vliet or it has to be Lowry. And when you're going toe-to-toe against a team that has at least two more naturally gifted shot makers than your best guy, because Tatum and Kemba as shot makers are on another level, and you can compare Van Vliet and Jalen Brown, I'd probably take Van Vliet's skill set over Jalen. But, um, and this point was made to me by my friend Carvel Teft when I brought this up to him, you know, at the end of the day, Jalen has five inches on Van Vliet, and that is an asset in itself. So, you have to find a way to overcompensate to compensate for that beyond just playing great defense. You have to have someone step up as a closer. And in game two, 
they they didn't at all. And that is why they lost that game. Even though they shot terribly, they still had a chance. They were still up late and they couldn't take advantage of it. So let's talk about the flip side of this. The Celtics, who uh, looked really impressive in game one, especially early. Game two, kind of a weird game, but they ended up taking it. What is the key for them? Uh, as you said, the Celtics aren't going to be able to rely on their three-point shooting showing up every night, and they're also not going to be able to rely on the Raptors going freezing cold from deep every yeah. night. Uh, to me, it's pretty simple. It's the adverse of what we said about the Raptors. They have got to get the ball into Pascal Siakam's hands and force him to run the offense, play hard off-ball defense on Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, and force him into trouble because, in my eyes, Pascal Siakam is such a raw player that – he just doesn't have the guard skills because he got into basketball so late. And he's just obviously such a – the only comparison I can think is a wild Bronco. He is just a raw talent still at this point. And he's not, he's not smart enough to run an offense and not crafty enough to run an offense. If they can force Pascal to take the ball on the offensive end, the Celtics are going to win this series. Yeah, I agree with that completely. That The – I do think that the Raptors have a certain degree of control and just because they have so many good players on the floor at times of not letting Siakam take over, but the fact that their goal in game two was to run through him late just makes that job all, all that much easier for the Celtics if the Raptors are going to do it to themselves. My key for the Celtics is probably if Jason Tatum can keep this up because I do think that the Raptors are the better all-around team, but of course, as we've talked about, a huge component in the outcome of each of these playoff series is who has the better clutch shot maker late in these games. And Tatum has been great through two games. He had a big 34 in game two. He had 20 in game one, but obviously didn't play all that much late because it was a blowout. And they have another real big-time shot maker in Kemba. They have another guy who can get you a bucket in Jalen Brown. But this is Tatum's team now. And... Yes, Kemba hit the the game clincher in game two, but I really think that they're going to go with Jason Tatum. And Tatum is a guy who, as talented as he is, as great as he has been since February of this year, sometimes just has off nights and sometimes disappears more than you would expect with someone of his caliber. And when I compare him to a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who we just saw not have an off night in that series until, I would say, game seven. And even then, he got his, and that's because that was just a brutal rock fight of a game. There are times where Tatum doesn't step up to the biggest moment. So for the Celtics, if they are going to win this series with, in my opinion, a slightly inferior overall team, it has to be because Tatum's the best player on the floor basically every time. I think that's a key. So late game, just let me let me uh, get this straight. Are you taking Kemba or are you taking Jason Tatum to close games for the C's? I think it's going to have to be Tatum. I think that this is his team now. And Kemba's that clutch shot maker, but so is Tatum. And I think that there's a certain time where you have to give the keys of your, uh, to your offense to your best player and their best player is Jason Tatum. And maybe it ends up being that they can overcome it and go through Kemba for the most part, but I don't think that's what they want to do. I think that they want to go through Tatum late and you know, this isn't, I mean, I have faith in Jason Tatum. I do. I just think that he really can't slip up all that much for the Celtics to win this series because the Raptors are that great of a team. So let's move on to the matchup that was set last night in after a thrilling seven-game series between the Jazz and the Nuggets, an insane 3-1 comeback, really thrilling games five, six, seven, and game one as well. Um, Logan, 
what is the key for the Nuggets in this series against the Clippers? You feed Jamal Murray. A long time ago, my good friend Carson Brubber shot the now iconic video, the future NBA star that no one's talking about. That man grew up to be Jamal Murray. <laughs> Jamal, <laughs> Jamal is going to have to be the knockdown closer for the Nuggets throughout this entire series against the Clippers, and they're going to need production because, I mean, we saw he can do it in the playoffs, 13 to 20 game one, 36, and two 50 pieces. I mean, I didn't know Jamal had it in his bag. Uh, Carson did, uh, as I referenced YouTube. Go check it out. Like it. Um, he's going to have to perform because this Clippers offense is not going to let up. They have mm. too much talent. I don't care if Paul George has an off night. Reggie Jackson will show up. If Reggie da Jackson doesn't show up, maybe Marcus Morris will have a hot night. The Clippers team is too offensively deep for Jamal Murray to have an off night. He's going to have to show up. He's going to have to knock down shots, and he's going to have to close out games. And I don't know. I know that I was counting them out after – four games when they were down 3-1. Mm -hmm. Jamal's got me juiced up. I, I think the Nuggets can push this six or seven. Yeah, I'm really excited for this series, and I am grateful that this ended up being the matchup we get just because I think that the Jazz would be more overmatched by the Clippers than the Nuggets are. For me, the key is with the other Nuggets superstar, and it is can Nicole Jokic take over the series, specifically as a scorer, and exploit the Clippers' lack of a quality defensive big man? Because... You know, I never know what we're going to get from Jamal Murray. It's almost too difficult for me to say that he is the key in any respect because obviously if he plays like he did last series, that is huge. That's everything for them. But Jokic is the more reliable player and he is the guy who has really the greater mismatch to exploit here in my opinion because if you look at how he's performed against the Clippers over the last two years when they've essentially had the same, uh, the same two big men playing the majority of their minutes, Montrez Harrell and Ivica Zubats, per 36. He's averaging 25.5 points, 13.8 rebounds, and 7.8 assists. Now, that is of that's a seven-game sample size, so it's not tiny. And then you throw in the fact that playoff Jokic already asserts himself way more as a scorer. He's averaging 25.5 a, a game over the last two playoff seasons versus basically 20 a game in the regular seasons. He always takes it up a notch there. And then when you look at who they have to guard him, Zubat's not an impactful defender, the kind of guy that Jokic can push around down there. And Trez, he's a dog. He's a competitor. He's a fighter. He's 6'7". He can't affect a 7'280 pound man like Nikola Jokic. So to me, and you know, obviously Rudy Gobert ended up stepping it up against Jokic uh, in game one and in previous matchups between the two, it's really seemed like Gobert can't impact Jokic, like he can't stop him from getting where he wants to. Jokic had a great series. A lot of that, though, was based on his outside shooting. They were leaving him open from three, and he shot like 48% from deep. That, to me, is not the key for him in this series. It's bullying people down in the post, and if they send, double, send doubles, obviously you find shooters, and he is as good at that as anyone in the league. I don't know what's happening with Will Barton. Uh, it would be nice to see him out there. He's maybe the Nuggets' third best player certainly one of their five best players and it's been really weird that he hasn't been out there so hopefully he can be out there because he's just another bucket getter but to me the key is can Jokic take this series over as a scorer because personnel wise he should be able to and you know it's not like he needs to create space for himself the dude can just shoot a hook over his shoulder anytime and with his touch it's it's a pretty good bet to go in let's look at this from the Clippers side what is their key to this series 
Uh, personally, I'd send Marcus Morris out there to, to injure as many Nuggets players as humanly possible. Uh, so Torrey Craig and Gary Harris have to play as many minutes as possible while Patrick Beverly and Montrezl Harrell cackle furiously on the bench. <laughs> there, just to make that point, it, the Clippers are not a likable team. They are, especially when you have a guy like Pat Bev, who is the primary antagonist and he's not even playing and he would not be an impactful defender. I mean, like with everything he was saying, Luca torched him in the game that he played. Luca scored it against him effortlessly. You got like Marcus Morris saying Clippers in six. What did you expect? Their second best player missed half the series. They were the seven seed. You're the two seed. And by the way, it's not like you had a big part in that. And by the way, the guy that you're coming after just averaged an efficient 31, nine and nine. And Trez, I like, but he's taken the competition a bit over the edge and just been really uh, angsty. And I just think that the Clippers, and this is a complete tangent at this point, and we'll go right back to your point after this, but I think that they failed to keep in perspective that they were playing the seven seed whose second best player after KP got hurt was either Seth Curry or Tim Hardaway Jr. Like, congratulations? You beat them? Anyways, move on. Move on to your point. No, you're, you're exactly right. Um, on a serious note, though, what you touched on early with Jokic, uh, they're going to have to defend the pick and pop uh, because even with such a dominant defender like Rudy Gobert, and he tried, as you mentioned. I mean, Gobert got out to the perimeter fast, but Jokic is just such a... His release is so slow, but he can still get his shot off up so high. (laughs) Um, He's proven to me in this playoffs that um, that he's a much better shooter than I thought capable. He's a much he's a much smarter player. It seems like in the playoffs, he gets to his spots. He knows where to go with the basketball. He's so offensively inclined. Do you think Carson? um, I mean, for the Clippers, I think you just have to d up Jokic in the pick and pop and take that aspect out. And I think it should be a clean series. Carson, do you have any concerns defensively for Jokic uh, in the paint against this Clippers team? Well, that's a great question, question, Logan, because obviously that was a key to the series against the Jazz. When the Jazz got up early in that series, particularly, it was exploiting Jokic out of the pick and roll. It was either you know having Murray attack downhill or throwing that lob to, to Rudy Gobert, which consistently worked. However, this really isn't as favorable of a pick-and-roll matchup when you look at just the way that the Clippers roster is composed because their primary creators are not really pick-and-roll ball handlers. It's Kawhi and PG, and PG can operate out of the pick-and-roll a bit. Kawhi really doesn't like to at all. You know, you have Lou Williams out there, um, but he's not going to be running your offense for the majority of the time. And then as far as their big men, Trez is literally just not big enough to go over Jokic in the same way that Rudy Gobert could. And Zubats maybe can in stretches, but he's not a guy that you want to play much more than 20 minutes a game. He's not all that significant in this matchup. And if you can match his minutes up up with Plumlee to an extent, then you have no problem there at all. So uh, I think that always you have concerns about Jokic as a pick-and-roll defensive big man. I do think, though, he is a guy with quick hands and pretty solid instincts. What was so crushing was... He physically could not contest Rudy Gobert. It was just a lob, and there was nothing he could do because the man can't jump. Um, And I don't think that's going to be as much of a problem in this series. My key for the Clippers, and you could say that this is a key to any series, but, you know, I I could have said what version of Paul George we get is the key. I don't really think that's it, though, because I kind of feel like the Clippers can win in spite of that. I'm pretty confident in the Clippers' ability to win this series based largely on Kawhi getting his and just his unmatched will to score and win. And, you know, he's always, he's always going to put you in a position to win games late. But 
the most effective way to match any team and especially an offensively gifted team like the Nuggets who are going to give you a lot of points. They're also going to let up a lot of points. And really the key to me for the Clippers is just keep hitting threes because they shot the lights out in, the, in their first round series, shot 40 plus percent from three. It's really how they hung with the Mavs. Even when the Mavs were just giving them buckets every single time, they were able to trade right back. And I think that even when we look at, you know, I think about game four, which was obviously the game of the series, their last shot didn't go through Kawhi. It was because they were able to create a wide open Marcus Morris three and that put them up. And then of course, a little bit of Luka magic took it right back, but still it, it's, it's a formula to beat any team. I think it's particularly relevant when you have so many gifted shooters on the floor at all times, you have an alpha like Kawhi who will not slip up. Kawhi will not have a bad series. It does not happen. PG. I don't even think they necessarily need him to be more in this series Later on, I think they'll need more from him. But in this series, they don't necessarily need him to be more than just another guy who can knock down threes around Kawhi. And, you know, the Nuggets struggled mightily to defend the three against the Jazz. They shot 42% against them. It was a lot higher than that going into game seven. And I think it's an area that they can exploit. And I think that it's going to be key. And again, it's key in any series. If you don't shoot threes well, it's hard to win games. But I think it's particularly key for the Clippers here. If the Clippers light them up, what can Denver? I, mean, you, I, I guess the series is over for Denver. I mean, I think that I have faith in Denver offensively, but defensively, I have so many concerns. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And that to me is, it's really more than anything, just about for the Clippers, even more than hitting threes, probably. It's just being able to trade buckets with the Nuggets when they get hot because there are going to be stretches where they're almost impossible to stop. If that Murray Jokic pick and roll is working every time, good luck. You know, whoever, have, whoever you have out there to defend it, good luck. And it's about having either Kawhi or shooters around him who can respond to that so you don't get down. And they did that really effectively against the Mavs. The Mavs had some offensive explosions and the Clippers were able to hang tight every time by exploiting a weak team defense in Dallas. So let's move on to what is, at this point, just a theoretical second-round series. So the way we're going to do this is, because you picked the Thunder to beat the Rockets, I picked the Rockets to beat the Thunder, and again, Game 7 for that is later today, you're going to preview a theoretical Thunder-Lakers series, I'm going to preview a theoretical Rockets-Lakers series. So why don't you start with the keys for um, both the Thunder and the Lakers in your hypothetical series? Uh, for the Thunder, it's really similar to what you just said about the Clippers. And if we do see the Thunder, I don't see a world where they beat the Lakers because they have LeBron James. But in a perfect world, here's how it happens. The Thunder have got to shoot lights out from deep. They've got to get production from Danilo Gallinari, uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Chris Paul. Because if they don't, any game, it doesn't matter. LeBron James and Anthony Davis are going to run through you. You've got to have efficient shooting nights. But the most important key factor... Lou Dort has got to clamp up LeBron James. <laughs> and if all that happens, I can see the Thunder winning a game and losing in five. Um, and for the Lakers on the other side, like I said, if we do see this series, I don't see it being extremely competitive. The Lakers just don't have to blow it. Just keep LeBron healthy. Just yeah. keep AD healthy. They'll run through it. I, the Thunder have a solid perimeter defense, but the Lakers are so interior-oriented, or, I don't think it's going to matter. Um, Carson, what do you think about the Rockets? Well, first, let me just speak on a hypothetical Thunder series because I don't think the Thunder are going to win game seven. They're just the clearly less talented team with more star power at the top. And they've had to grit out all three of their games. And I tweeted about this, but it's funny because 
when we were previewing the series, one of my points for why I picked the Rockets was the Thunder were a team that scrapped and gritted their way to so many wins during the regular season. And I thought that that would give the Rockets a comparative advantage because they finished with the same record and the Rockets just didn't work as hard. And now we've seen the, the Thunder grit out games with that exact same formula and the Rockets win games like you would kind of expect them to, kind of coasting. So I would take the Rockets, but if we get into another close one, who knows? Maybe the Thunder grit it out. To me, the Thunder are just, by playoff standards, offensively inept. They don't have the kind of guy who can take over games, even though CP can be great in the clutch. And they've had a lot of really ugly stretches. And so I just don't have faith in them. As far as the Rockets, the key for me is that Russell Westbrook does not overimpose himself in this series. And that is not an anti-Westbrook thing. I just think it's kind of an obvious thing. He's had a rough first two games back from injury, averaging just 12 a game on 39% shooting. Obviously not playing full minutes, but still playing 27 minutes a game or something. He lost them game six. And this is the key point. He has this instinct to tank o- to take over games. And Harden you know, obviously he's had his playoff woes that people talk about. They don't compare to Russ's to me. And I do think that stylistically Harden is at a disadvantage just because he's so dependent on getting to the line, getting those threes. And uh, this is all tougher to create in the playoffs. But if you're going to go down, you need to go down with the ball in James Harden's hands. And Russ can be really effective in spots just because he has, you know, the ability even in the half court to sometimes just get such a burst that's unmatched that he can get an easy bucket like that. Uh, If he's willing, he can be weaponized off the ball in a way that Harden just can't because Harden's not going to move without the ball and he doesn't have that same skill set. If you look at Russ's Oklahoma City career, he took almost three more shots per game in the playoffs than in the regular season. He was terribly inefficient, hasn't shot 40% from the field since Kevin Durant left, and that includes a series in which he shot over 30 times a game three years ago. Only a 41% career shooter in the playoffs, 30% from three, and you know, in fourth quarters of these games, it has to be all hardened. When Harden is on the floor, it has to be all hardened. It is so much more effortless and easy for him to create good offense. Just being the force that he is, if he gets downhill, you have to send help. And that always leaves someone open. And there are some great shooters on this team who are going to take advantage of that. Uh, obviously, Russ makes that harder because Russ is the guy that you want to leave then defensively. And he's not going to be able to punish you for it by, by hitting those threes. And that's a concern of itself. But what's really most important is that we don't get a hectic Russ takeover and that we let Harden methodically work his way into, you know, just find his rhythm, hit those step backs, get into the lane, create threes for other people around him because that is such more reliable offense than anything that Russell Westbrook can do. And not to harp on Russell too long, but I would take James Harden with a bad shooting night over regular Russell Westbrook any game. I mean, he's so – you just go off plus minus. In the fourth quarter, Carson – of last game against the Thunder, game six. Negative 11 in the fourth quarter, plus minus, for Russell Westbrook. He is just a negative for this team. And people can go ahead and talk about the streak that he had earlier in the season, but mm-hmm. the regular season is so different than what, we, what we're getting in playoff basketball. And yeah. Russell Westbrook consistently lets teams down in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think that he has to understand his value for this team is – as a guy that can sort of take away the predictable rhythm of the Houston Rockets, because the Rockets can sort of get lulled into doing the same things over and over again. And that makes sense because of Harden and sometimes it works, but if you miss 27 straight threes, Russell Westbrook is the kind of guy who can break up that streak 
And again, the numbers tell you maybe you don't need to, but practically you can tell that if you're just having a terrible shooting day as a team, you need to resort to something else. And Westbrook can be effective in those spots. But what has to be very, very clear to him is that it is not his job to take over. And that is the kind of thing that even in game seven tonight, if there's a way that the Rockets are going to lose that game to me, it's going to be because Russ thinks he's the best guy on this team. And if that happens, this experiment might be over already. And it may be another guy forced out of Houston. And maybe the Rockets' idea now is literally just, you know, go get go get another guy who is a pure three-point shooter and let's go all in on Harden and guys who can shoot threes around him. Harden has got to be tired. Oh, my I God. Mean, and just he's such a dynamic. Upset. He's such a dynamic offensive talent, and to see him go through guard after guard, teammate after teammate. Uh, we, I mean, we talked so much about how the Russell Westbrook experiment was going to go. I almost, I'm, I'm rooting for the Thunder because I picked them, but mm. I root a little bit for Harden because I hate seeing such a talented player getting playoff, playoff uh, failure over and over and over again. Yeah. And even though there is a certain degree of logic behind it, it makes sense. He plays an incredibly taxing style. It makes sense that he wears down. As I've said, it makes sense that he doesn't get to the line as much. He's a guy who doesn't use the mid-range at all, and those are oftentimes the best shots that you get late in games. All of those things make sense, but he still gets his, and he's having a tremendous series against the Thunder, and you just hope that if they go down, they go down with him, and then you know that opens up a whole nother, um, a whole nother world of criticisms, but at least you're going down with your best player. For me, the key for the Lakers in this hypothetical series is just the outside shooting from their role players because that has become a concern. LeBron and AD are going to average 60 combined a game no matter what Houston does. Houston does not have the personnel to combat that. They do not have a rim protector on this roster unless you're going to throw out old man Tyson Chandler, and they're not going to do that. Rocco, PJ Tucker, those are the kind of strong-bodied, smart defenders who can handle a lot of people in the post. But when LeBron and AD are coming downhill, when, when AD is rim running and you're going to throw him a lob and there is no one who is physically tall enough to contest that, that is a nightmarish formula to stop LeBron and AD. Now, I do expect that the Rockets are going to be aware of that. And their formula is going to be, let's completely devote ourselves to not stopping LeBron and AD, but if we have to have two guys around the paint at all times, making things as hard on them as we can, if we have to devote three defenders to two guys, I think that's what they're going to have to be willing to do. And then they'll just say, let your shooters, let Danny Green, let Contavious Caldwell-Pope, let those guys beat us. And considering the Lakers were the worst three-point shooting team in the seeding games in the bubble, they were 13th of 16 teams in the playoffs, they were 21st in the regular season, that does make sense. They're just not a good three-point shooting team. When I think back to their regular season matchup with the small ball Rockets, the first time we really saw them out there when it was Rocco starting at center on a really big stage, the Lakers just couldn't hit threes. They couldn't punish them. And LeBron and AD are unstoppable in this series. The key is the rest of the guys around them just not messing up those easy opportunities. And I don't think that's going to cost them. But if anything were to, that would be it because, you know, the Rockets haven't played great offense lately. I, I think that maybe they can kick it up a notch there, but really it's just about the guys around LeBron and AD not messing this up because they can't do literally everything. Do you see a world where 
the shooters around the Lakers go so ice cold that the Rockets win this series? It's tough for me to imagine that happening over seven games, but I think it's very likely that we get at least one or two where the Rockets just shoot the lights out and the Lakers don't shoot very well at all. It's just a mathematical likelihood when you look at the personnel on these teams and how they play strategically. And, uh, you know, that could be scary, especially if, you know, maybe the Rockets have an insanely hot shooting night where the Lakers, it doesn't even matter what they do, the Rockets are going to win. And then separate of that, maybe the Lakers have a terrible shooting night. The Rockets have another huge shooting night. We really don't know how this could go. And that's why I picked this to go six before the playoffs. I don't think this is the kind of series that the Lakers can get out with can get out of without a couple bumps and bruises. They're the better team. They they have obviously more star power at the top. They have the two more unstoppable forces. You could argue Harden versus AD, but in this matchup, there's really no answer for AD. Um, but there is just the shooting, and that's such a huge factor in the outcome of every single game in the modern NBA. Can you think of any other team that has been this highly touted, that has had this little outside help for LeBron and AD with two stars? Well, you know, we really can only look at the past seven or eight years because that is when three-point shooting became as important as it is. But no, and to that point, I can't think of really another team that has had such a uh, such a obscure isn't the right word because everyone knows who Kyle Kuzma is, but a third best player of that caliber. You know, it's been a long time. And I always give this comparison. You go back to the Kobe Shaq days. So this is a unique team if they're going to win a championship, but I do believe they can do it because of the two guys they have compelling them at the top. So, I mean, we're headed into an exciting stretch of basketball. I think for both of our sakes, you know, hopefully the Raptors turn this around, make this series interesting because you got a lot riding on that pick. And I, you know, you and I started this Raptors train way back when in December, 2019, I believe. Yeah, December 2019 was before we went home. So it's been a long time that we've invested in these guys. And to me, the Celtics are the team that would beat them. I don't think it's the Bucs. I do think it's the Celtics. Uh, they, they just scare me more with their shot making and their two-way ability. And they look more like a playoff, a, a team that excels in the playoffs than the Bucs. So that's going to do it for us here today. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was NerdSet. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. 
Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l e e s a dot com slash iHeart.